Hey everyone, this is Dallas, producer of the Mercatus Policy Download. Welcome back. Since the coronavirus lockdowns began back in March, the Mercatus Center has been hosting a number of COVID-19 policy webinars to discuss good ideas on how to respond to the crisis, and we'd like to start sharing them with you. Today's episode will be featuring a webinar the Mercatus Center co-hosted with the Progressive Policy Institute on how to address regulations that are suspended during the COVID-19 pandemic. The scholars called upon to discuss this topic are Dr. Patrick McLaughlin, Senior Research Fellow and Director of Policy Analytics at Mercatus, Michael Mandel, Chief Economic Strategist at the Progressive Policy Institute, and Elliot Long, Senior Economic Policy Analyst also at the Progressive Policy Institute. If you're interested in joining one of our future webinars, please email our outreach team at mercatusoutreach at mercatus.gmu.edu. And if you'd like to hear more content like this on the download, please reach out to me at dfloor, D-F-L-O-E-R, at mercatus.gmu.edu. Thanks for listening. I hope you're all staying well and enjoy the show. We do want information here, right? We don't want haphazard modifications, or we don't want to necessarily go with the modifications that have happened so far because those have been taken under duress in a time of emergency by some agencies. So you want a little bit of time for the commission to study the issues and come up with a good set of recommendations. It does matter what happens in the meantime. I don't think that regulations should go back into effect during that three to six month period. I'm okay with longer, as long as they don't go back into effect in whatever harmful form they were in, in the meantime. My name is Karen Zarnecki, Vice President of Outreach for the Mercatus Center. Thank you for joining us today for our webinar, co-sponsored with the Mercatus Center and the Progressive Policy Institute, or PPI, focusing on how we should address regulations suspended during the pandemic. First, a few housekeeping notes. The format today, we're going to have three speakers who'll speak for roughly five minutes, followed by Q&A. Now, a little background. In trying to mitigate the spread of COVID-19, policymakers at the federal, state, and local levels have temporarily suspended or rescinded laws and regulations that hinder timely, sensible responses to the pandemic. This temporary departure from these rules has made many people question the need to reinstate them once the crisis subsides. After all, how do you help businesses rebuild and thrive if we reinstate onerous regulations on them during this much needed recovery? A diverse cross-section of scholars has written on why this is an important time to evaluate whether or not some of these regulations are really beneficial and how policymakers can best make these assessments. The Mercatus Center published a policy brief as part of our COVID-19 response series that proposes an approach called a Fresh Start Initiative, whereby we create the process to re-evaluate the suspended regulations. PPI has consistently proposed an approach to regulations that could foster more growth coming out of the pandemic while still protecting people and the environment. During this webinar, we will discuss the common ground found in both approaches and how these may offer a non-partisan way forward to meet the challenges caused by the pandemic, inform government officials, as well as improve our approach to the regulatory process. We are joined today by three scholars who've been working on this topic for quite some time. The first speaker will be Mike Mandel, who is Chief Economist, Economic Strategist at PPI and a Senior Fellow at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. He is co-author of uh, PPI's Regulatory Improvement Commission Research. 
Our second speaker will be Patrick McLaughlin, who's the Director of Policy Analytics and a Senior Research Fellow at the Mercatus Center at George Mason University. His research focuses primarily on regulations and the regulatory process. He is a co-author of the Mercatus Center's Fresh Start Initiative proposal. And then our third speaker is Elliot Long, a Senior Economic Policy Analyst for PPI. He has previously worked for the U.S. Congress and the White House. He writes about technology innovation, railroad policy, and regulatory reform. And I want to thank all of them for joining me today. And Mike, I'm going to send the first question to you. Can you give a high-level overview of the similarities between the approaches to regulatory improvement by PPI and Mercatus, and also highlight some of the differences? Uh, thanks very much, Karen, and thanks very much for putting on this event today. It's a, it's a very important topic, which is why we're here. Uh, let's start by saying that PPI very much believes that regulation is important for, the, for a well-functioning market economy. We also put high priority on protecting workers and protecting the environment. Having said that, you know, this is a, this is a key moment for looking at the regulatory system, and, and we agree that, that, that this is an important topic. Um, you know, once there's enough testing and enough medical progress against the virus, we, we want to do whatever we can to encourage a fast recovery. And that means that um, to make sure that businesses are not encumbered by excess regulation, by rules that aren't necessary. You know, we've spent years looking at developing an idea that we call the Regulatory Improvement Commission, which would be empowered to look at regulations, uh, get rid of some, improve, or maybe even strengthen others. And, you know, this is an appropriate moment to sort of put that idea into practice, not just on the federal level, but on the state and local level as well, in order to make sure that the regulatory path is clear for businesses to grow. All right, very good. Now, Patrick, I'd like to turn it to you. Can you tell us what your Fresh Start initiative is? I'd be happy to. Um, I've been covering regulation, studying regulation for many years, and uh, I was a fan of Michael's work years ago when he talked about using a commission to study and improve regulations. I've got my own work out there, too, that uh, advises using a commission to study and improve regulations. However, I think now is the moment, and this, this Fresh Start initiative is sort of taking advantage of some of the work that's already been done at the federal and state levels and to some degree at the local levels in identifying the regulations that are problematic. So as you mentioned, Karen, in the introduction, rules at all levels of government, regulations have been suspended or modified uh, as they've been identified as being problematic, hindering the potential recovery, whether it's a response to the virus itself or recovery in the economic sense. Now, the question before us is what do we do about those suspended regulations once the emergency ends, right? So we have many examples. Michael probably will talk about some of the actions at FDA that have been taken or need to be taken, Food and Drug Administration at the federal level. I won't dwell on that, but they have taken some actions to suspend some of their regulations that were problematic. Other examples, though, out of HHS, the human, um, excuse me, Health and Human Services Department, uh, include addressing telemedicine, removing regulations that were getting in the way of allowing telemedicine to be rapidly uh, spread and used in a time of social distancing. Uh, the TSA has changed its rules regarding how much hand sanitizer you can carry around. Uh, there, the list goes on and on at the federal level. At the state level, there's several examples, too. 
I think the last count that we had was 22 states now have suspended what are called certificate of need laws, which are basically uh, laws that require permission for a medical service provider to add, say, a new hospital bed or even an MRI machine. And uh, those, the, the effect of those laws when they are suspended is to have less medical service, fewer beds, and more expensive prices, higher prices for medical services. Uh, occupational licensing laws have been suspended in a lot of places for a lot of, uh, a lot of occupations. That's also state level. And finally, even at the local level, we've seen some action. You may have ordered a cocktail to be delivered to your house. That wasn't possible before some regulations were suspended at the local level. So there's a lot of examples. The Fresh Start Initiative proposes a way to handle these once we're done with the, the pandemic, once we're done with the emergency. And it will work out like this. First, take that list of rules. I went through some of them as a starting point. Second, once you have that list fully put together, assemble a commission, some, something like uh, Michael already talked about to a small degree, but put together, say, uh, our proposal, we recommend a dozen to two dozen academic experts, people with subject matter expertise, who can look over these regulations, dig into them one at a time, and figure out what's good and what's bad. And the goal of that commission would be to produce a list of actions. Those actions would be from each regulation, uh, taking an action that would either involve sunsetting it entirely, maybe the regulation has run its course, we don't need it any, anymore, maybe it was never working in the first place to deliver what we hoped it would deliver, or to modify it. Now, we take it as a given here, the fact that these regulations have been suspended it's pretty good evidence that there's something wrong with them. So before they go back into effect, we'd like to see some modification. Let's get rid of the bad parts. And if there are some good parts, let's keep the good parts. So this commission will put together a list of actions, modification or repeal for all those regulations on that list. And then finally, they would pass that list over to Congress or at the state level to the legislature for an up or down vote. It would just be that simple. Uh, Congress could accept all of the actions that were recommended or none of them. There's no chance to change one thing here, one thing there, say this regulation is sacred to me, we can't touch it. No, those aren't options. It's all or nothing in a simple up or down vote. And that is what we propose as a way to deal with this set of, obviously, in my opinion, harmful regulations. Great. That's a perfect segue to Mike. Uh, Mike, you have expertise in reviewing what the FDA has done and how they have responded to this pandemic. What are some of the issues that you have found with the process at the agency and how can we learn from this going forward? Yeah, thanks very much, Karen. The the FDA is a a very important agency at this point, obviously, in dealing with the COVID-19 crisis. And so what we've seen is after a few missteps at the beginning, the FDA has been much more flexible in terms of dealing with diagnostics, dealing with potential treatments and vaccines in terms of not breaking its rules, not doing stuff that's unsafe, but accelerating the process and being much more flexible. And, you know, you look back historically and the FDA has been concentrated on two sets of rules, really, safety and efficacy. We never want to break the safety rule, but efficacy is is more troublesome because when, when FDA says efficacy, what they mean is that that the drugs or treatment is better than anything else, has to prove itself better than anything else out there. And you think about the application of that rule to sort of say consumer electronics, if it had been applied to cell phones, then the original, then of course, if you remember the original cell phones had worse, had, had, had worse um, reception than landlines and they would, they would have blocked the original cell phones. 
personal computers, the, the original Apples, were, were not as, was not as good as many computers. They would have blocked that too. And so really what we want to see is the FDA being more encouraging of disruptive innovation, in some sense, learning from what they've done in this process to encourage, to encourage innovation, to encourage companies to do things in a little bit of different way, not breaking safety, but being more welcome and less bureaucratic. All right, great. Now, Elliot, I'm going to bring you into the process here. I've got a two-part uh, question for you. How can we speed up the review process for infrastructure without getting rid of environmental review? That's first. And second, how does this get people back to work faster? Yeah, um, we support implementing a two-year time limit on environmental reviews. Um, a recent Council on Environmental Quality Analysis uh, found the average time to complete an environmental impact statement was four and a half years. Uh, a quarter of those uh, uh, took six years or longer. Uh, prolonged review of infrastructure projects uh, carries direct costs, um, including legal, uh, administrative, and overhead. Um, there are also indirect costs, uh, such as lost productivity and pollution from outdated infrastructure. Uh, a, study, a recent study by Common Good uh, found uh, just a six-year delay uh, on environmental reviews um, cost the economy over $3.9 trillion. Uh, that's nearly four times the size of frequently discussed infrastructure packages. Um, construction costs uh, have more than doubled uh, since 2000, according to our analysis of uh, Bureau of Economic Analysis data. Um, meanwhile, overall prices in the economy have risen less than 50% over that same time span. Uh, other parts of the federal government also already utilize shot clocks, um, such as a, like the, like the two-year uh, time limit. Um, for instance, uh, the FCC imposed uh, shot clocks of 150 days for the construction of a new cell tower in 2009 um, and 90 days for the new use of an existing tower. Um, in 2019, uh, the FCC also enacted deadlines um, for small cells of 90 days uh, for attaching um, uh, to a new structure um, and 60 days uh, for attaching to an existing facility. Um, other countries also utilize shot clocks um, when it comes to infrastructure review. Uh, for example, uh, Germany and Canada generally complete environmental reviews within two years um, as well. Um, Germany does this by designating a, a single government agency um, for review decisions um, and invites public comment in the initial project phase, um, all while limiting, uh, standing, but limiting standing for litigation uh, on the back end. Uh, Canada also, has, also employs one lead agency, um, seeks public comment early on in the process, um, and has a time limit of 10 months for impact assessments. Um, these countries are able to approve the projects uh, and build the infrastructure that fuels their economies uh, without sacrificing environmental protections, which, if anything, are stronger than those in the U.S. Um, a, we believe a two-year time limit would speed up projects, um, putting people back to work faster and do it at a lower price tag without sacrificing environmental integrity. Oh, that's wonderful. We have got a lot to talk about here. And I want to remind you, if you have a question, please use the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen. We do have one that's, we've got uh, two of that are coming right now. So I'll start with the first one. What kinds of challenges, political and otherwise, does this committee process face? That's a very good question. Mike, I'm going to start with you. Oh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great question. I, actually, I think that, that, the, that this process, I think both, both for, for Patrick and, and, and ourselves, is actually designed to sort of function in a, in a hostile and partisan environment. That because what happens is it doesn't, it, it doesn't impose ahead of time a requirement that you sort of have less regulations. It doesn't impose a requirement beforehand that any particular regulation is bad. It leaves it up to the process to actually address it. And it gives Congress another bite at the apple. And so that's really essential because Congress is not going to want to give up power to, to, uh, 
faceless body over regulation. This way, the, 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 the Regulatory Improvement Commission or the Fresh Start Initiative Commission, whatever you want to call it, is going to take the heat, make the decision, put together the package, and then the Congress gets to vote in it. So actually, this is um, uh, this whole process is designed to sort of accommodate itself to a, to a tough political situation. Excellent. Patrick, would you like to comment? Uh, that's a very good summary. The, the model that we followed in the Fresh Start Initiative is the Base Realignment and Closure uh, Commission model, which was designed back in the late 80s, early 90s, that went on into the 2000s to address exactly the problems that you do see in Congress now, which is there's always going to be some champion who's going to defend one specific, in this case, military base from being closed because it would benefit his constituency to keep it open. And that can lead to just inaction in Congress if someone's going to defend something vociferously enough. Uh, the same sort of uh, dynamic could arise with regulation. There can be one particular regulation that uh, a member is particularly keen not to modify for whatever reason. Uh, but if there's a list such as we proposed with the Fresh Start Initiative and a simple up or down vote for the entire package, then it creates some political cover, if you will. The, the, the member who's keen to defend that one regulation can say, well, I really wish those, those eggheads on the commission wouldn't have put this one on there. But the, all the other ones on there are obviously problematic. So I got to support this whole thing. So that's, that's one of the dynamics. And so the Base Realignment and Closure Commission used this sort of logic to overcome that, that, same, that same sort of uh, dynamic in Congress. And I think the same thing stands now with this, uh, this, the challenges that could be posed and overcome with this Fresh Start Initiative proposal. I've got to ask you a follow-up question, though, because whenever we've looked at commissions in the past, they've been around for two years and they submit their proposal to Congress. It's such a lengthy process. What time frame are, you, are both of you talking about with this? Well, for our proposal, we say a three to six month time frame, uh, give, give the commission that long to study. And we do want information here, right? We don't, we don't want haphazard modifications or we don't want to necessarily go with the modifications that have happened so far because those have been taken under duress in a time of emergency by some agencies. So you want a little bit of time for the commission to study the issues and come up with a good set of recommendations. Uh, it does matter what happens in the meantime. I don't think that regulations should go back into effect during that three to six month period, or if you want to extend it to a year or longer. I'm okay with longer, as long as they don't go back into effect in whatever harmful form they were in uh, during the meantime. In the meantime, Mike, these uh, these commissions should work fast and have limited lives. Okay, and they should have limited. They should have limited scope too, because what you should say is that is that. They should only have, they should be aiming for a list that's 10 long or 15 long. They should be given a limited, they should be given a limited number of regulations they can put into this list and be done with this. And if we need another commission, then Congress can stand up another one. Each one, each one is, uh, sits on its own, like, like the BRAC commissions, each one sits on its own merits. All right, great. Uh, we've got another here. There seems to have been a lot of invalid or faulty COVID-19 test kits that are being marketed without FDA approval. Uh, I'm all for deregulation, but this area seems to be a problem. What are some ways to fix this so doctors' offices and other healthcare facilities do not purchase a kit that does not work and provides false results? It's a good question. 
this is already fixed. This is already fixing itself. It, it, there's a limited le- length of time that 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 um, uh, that these kits can be on the market before before they have to be prove their validation. Um, the the goal was to have a lot of stuff out to give everybody a chance to sort of look at them to sort of check them. Um, that the FDA should not be a bottleneck. That the CDC should not be a bottleneck. This is part of accelerating things, and we're already seeing a convergence to the to the kits that to the kits that work very fast. This is this is one of those things where people didn't quite understand what was going on. Now, in the future, they don't understand. They won't buy. You know, it's like when when it, when, it, when a new when it, when a new when a new um, computer comes out, you don't or a new operating system, you don't buy the first. The first version of it, you wait till it gets fixed, and it's going to be the same thing here. Is that people are going to realize that there's a that that there isn't a bottleneck anymore. That the kids come out of the market, they're going to get tested, they're going to have a chance to compete against each other, and very, very, very quickly, the ones that don't work will be off. All right, very good. We get another question here. As we all know, small businesses have likely suffered disproportionately during this public health crisis. Are there specific actions governments could take? through this commission to help them recover faster. Elliot, I'm gonna send that to you first. Yeah, um, one that uh, Michael and I have been discussing uh, and talking about is uh, business licensing. Um, For instance, uh, if a if a business's license expired during uh, this coronavirus pandemic, um, uh, during the months that we've uh, all been working from home, um, do they have to re-register? Do they have to re-up? Um, should um, should governments uh, deem them granted for a certain time after um, to allow them enough time to re-register um, or lift the burden to allow them to reopen faster? Um, another one is uh, digitizing government. Um, a lot of uh, government, uh, a lot of uh, how you how you create a business and how you file your taxes is still largely done by paper. Um, uh, one area where governments can improve that um, is by uh, digitizing uh, government, moving moving that online uh, to catch up in the digital age. Hmm. All right, excellent. Does anybody else want to comment on that? And small businesses. Well, the whole thing, the whole point of this is actually to help small businesses. Okay, by getting by making sure that that, that actually states, localities, and the federal government have the right attitude going forward. That they try to encourage the rebound and encourage the growth without actually getting in the way. Okay. Very good. Our next question. Yeah, I, think I would is just, can I, can I just add on one thing? Sure. I, I'm not, I'm not sure I would quite agree that the whole point is to help small businesses. I think that's the effect though. I think regulation inadvertently disproportionately harms small businesses. So to whatever degree they can be cut back when unnecessary, that's going to similarly disproportionately help small businesses. And you could target that. There's there's no reason not to think that a commission could focus on regulations that are harming small businesses more. For example, regulations that came out of Dodd-Frank. I think the intent of Dodd-Frank was to uh, target larger financial operators, financial service providers, but a lot of smaller banks, a lot of smaller businesses got caught up as sort of collateral damage. Mm, that's a good point. All right, uh, this is about the Fresh Start Initiative. Why have an all-or-nothing up-or-down vote on the slate of recommendations? Could that risk missing out on improvements to some regulations at the expense of others that some policymakers may disagree on? Well, the, the, uh, I, I partly explained the logic before. It's to create some political cover for those uh, members who do think that a particular regulation shouldn't be touched, even though that regulation was included in the list. But I guess the alternative would be to 
let Congress vote one at a time, but they can already do that. I mean, that's already an option available. It doesn't seem likely to happen. So I, I think that the Fresh Start initiative is just a path towards uh, maybe not definite action on the part of Congress, but more likely to lead to action on the part of Congress than just to leave it down to one regulation at a time. Mike? I should add that our Regulatory Improvement Commission was actually structured the same way, uh, kind of taking taking uh, the uh, the cue from the, the BRAC Commission, which is the uh, up and down vote. And once again, it's it's... It's taking into account that that Congress has been historically reluctant to address these uh, to address these regulations and giving them a way that's palatable to take back some of their power and uh, without um, causing too much political angst. Okay, I will ask you, Mike. Uh, your proposal came out roughly seven years ago, and I don't know what's happened between then and now. Uh, why did this not get, gain more traction back then? Yes, yeah, so we've had a lot of discussions with Congress actually on both sides of the aisle about this. It requires, it's, it's something that requires a particular configuration where everybody agrees that regulatory improvement, regulatory changes is necessary, and neither side, and, and you, need, you need the agreement on both sides. And so we, we, were, we were in uh, heavy discussions uh, going into the last uh, presidential election about this, but it Things came out, of course, differently than uh, most people expected, um, and and we think that this is a way of, in a divided world, achieving some sort of gains on regulation that is satisfactory to 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 everybody. This is a crisis right now. We all agree on this, and how do we kind of keep, you know we've had we've had bipartisan action on <coughs> passing stimulus bills. How do we how do we continue this forward into the sort of the regulatory sphere? Okay, very good. Uh, next question. With regard to the Fresh Start Initiative, it seems as though Patrick proposed establishing a commission to make recommendations for regulatory change to the legislature for approval. Regulations fall under the executive branch, so I am unclear how this process will work in reality. Can you please clarify? Sure, that's a, that's a good question. The executive does indeed execute, right, as the name implies, the regulations, but the regulations all have to be authorized by Congress in the first place. So it would be possible for the executive branch to do all of this without going through Congress at all. But if uh, someone wanted to challenge some of the moves of the executive agencies afterward by saying that uh, they weren't allowed to repeal, for example, some specific regulation because statutory mandate required it, that might go to the courts and that might be problematic. So that's why it's the statutory authorities. So if you think about regulations, regulations are actually a combined creature of the executive branch and the legislative branch. And there's a requirement that there's a long process for putting a regulation into into place. And it turns out that if you wanted to undo a regulation, there's an equally long process for undoing it. The only way you can avoid that is by taking the regulation Going it through Congress, and then actually the uh, the president has to approve that. So it, it has to be. It ends up being a joint action of both the legislature and also and also the executive branch. So if you can think about once again, once again, um, this is going by the Regulatory Improvement Commission. It's designed in a way to allow both branches to act in a regulation in an organized way, which we usually can't get to. Okay, very good. 
Uh, someone says, uh, how do you see the fresh start? I think they uh, really either proposal moving forward. Members of Congress have already started this conversation. What proposals have already been offered? Is there anything on the Hill right now that would address even parts of your proposals? I, I do think uh, a bill was dropped earlier this month that's not exactly implementing um, either of these proposals, but that is trying to address, I don't remember the name of the bill, but that is trying to address the suspended regs, regs that were suspended during the COVID crisis. Um, so yeah, there's there's been some action on the Hill already. There's conversations ongoing. Um, I, I expect as things do on the Hill, things, this will all evolve and hope, I hope that the information that we're putting out there now can, can get incorporated into the, uh, the, the conversation. There have been bills in the past that substantially incorporated the Regulatory Improvement Commission. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but, every, you know, everything is on the table at this point. All right. And I think any of you here on this webinar would be happy to talk to folks on the Hill if they wanted to move this forward. I'm just going to put that out there. Another question. What recommendations would you give state legislatures to identify opportunities for state regulatory reform in the wake of the pandemic? I think this is a good follow-up. You had said earlier that we're not necessarily talking about federal. States can do this too. So, um, Mike, why don't we start with you? So the first thing you have to remember, go back to this question that was asked about the executive and the legislative branches. The states, each state, each locality has a different sort of setups in, in how the powers are distributed. In a lot of cases, what can happen is that the governor or the or the city council can just impl can just put the, a council like this together and, and then implement it. They don't actually have the same sort of issues involved. We've seen this before. We've seen this on state and local levels. And we would encourage um, uh, any, any locality, any state that is concerned about this to adopt this sort of, uh, this sort of approach. It would be, it'd be wonderful. Patrick? No, so Michael's point is great. There, it might be easier to implement this just from the governor uh, in, in states than it is just from the president at the federal level. So that's that's really sound advice. I think the other piece of advice I would offer is it's not necessarily the case that a full-blown analysis has to be done, like what you see uh, for federal regulations when a rulemaking is ongoing, there'll be a regulatory impact analysis, uh, which can often you know, be a thousand pages long, they're pretty costly produced, to produce, they require substantial expertise. It's great if you can do it, but if you don't have the budget to pull that kind of thing off, I would say just focus on the outcomes. Look at whether a regulation is delivering what it's supposed to be delivering. The costs and benefits would be nice if you had estimates of all that, but if it's not even delivering the outcomes, then that's very good evidence that it should be on a list for modification or repeal. We have a similar question here that um, talks about what recommendation would you give specifically to state legislatures to evaluate regulations? particularly those suspended by their uh, their state executive order, basically their governor. So what about the political friction between state legislatures and governors? Who wants to handle this one? Just just do it. Just put up put up a council and uh, and, and uh, of experts and and have them and have them look at it and come back with recommendations. And at, this is the moment. This is the moment to sort of do this now. Yeah. while let the you know, whether Everybody is sort of thinking about this. There, are, like I said before, there have been states that have done this successfully, pared down regulations, and I mean, take the take the take the take the alcohol delivery one. Well, it you know it may turn out that there were good reasons before not to do it, 
but just have a have a have a place where you can have a discussion about this separate from all the other business important business going on. All right, uh, we've got another question here. What are some practical next steps for those of us in D.C. or elsewhere to help accomplish the legislative review of these suspended regs? Any particular senators or U.S. reps we could target? And that's uh, someone from your Regulatory Improvement Council. Uh, Mike sent that in. No, no, that's not my. I that's I didn't. That's not my Regulatory Improvement Council. Well, but, okay, it's still a good one. It's a good question. I think I think at this point I think at this point it's just important you know to go talk and listen to everybody because you know right now people haven't we people have an open mind that they may not have had before and. And, you know, we're, we're all concerned with how do we get out of this crisis? And now it's time to start thinking a little bit about what a fast recovery really means, how to clear the obstacles at the other end. Okay, I think that's fair. Would anybody else like to comment on that? Yeah, um, I would also I would also add uh, that transparency uh, is, can be key in the process um, that can help. Um, uh, avoid uh, some of the political downfalls uh, that we've seen happen um, in politically charged uh, regulatory debates. Oh, here's a good question. There have been five rounds of BRAC. Shouldn't this sort of, uh, this commission be viewed as a tool that we use routinely to modernize uh, the regulations rather than a one-hit wonder? Yes. <laughs> okay. Give me more than a one-word answer. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, Michael and I both have proposed something like this in the past, uh, long before there was a COVID-19 crisis. Uh, so I I think there might be differences between uh, what Michael Michael's proposed scope has been in the past and whether or not it repeated by default. Uh, but it's clearly something that's come up before, right, and come up again. Uh, the problem we have is it has to do with the process, the regulatory process. There is little to no incentive for regulators to look back at their own regulations, determine if they need to be improved, need to be changed in some way, if they're even working. Instead, they always focus on making new rules. And that's not to fault the agencies. That's just the way the process is set up. That's the incentives they're faced with. Uh, so this, this commission is a change to that process, especially if it's repeated. It will it will allow the correction of errors, which are inevitable when you have such a large body of laws, large body of regulations to be created. Yeah, I think you have to think about this in the political sense. How much power will Congress give up to this commission? Well, the, you know, the way that we think about it is do it once. If it works well, there's a reason to do it again. Each BRAC commission was stood up separately by a separate enabling bill. Yeah. We were thinking about this this way, too, because, you know, I mean, this goes back to the question about why bundle everything together. I think that we're looking at a situation where we would hope that this would work. And if it works, then people are going to want to do it again and again. But here we have this opportunity right now coming out of this crisis, hopefully. And uh, let's focus on doing it once rather than turning it into something big. You know, this is, there's, there's not a history here. I mean, you know, Patrick sort of mentioned that the regulators uh, don't, don't want to undo their own regulation. Partly, partly they can't because the, the process of undoing regulations within the, within, within, within the executive branch is a complicated one. And they'd have to go, and do a, go out and do the studies. This enables us to sort of do the process in a much more straightforward way. 
and with the cooperation of Congress. And, you know, and like I said, Congress doesn't want to give up its prerogatives and we have to sort of work with work within that framework. All right. We've got another one. A lot of state and local questions here. What can states and local governments do to ensure that regulatory processes work better? Sometimes the rules serve a good purpose to protect the public, but compliance is the issue. How can states make it easier for businesses to comply with critical rules? Elliot? Um, yeah, I would say uh, the first step uh, would be uh, digitizing. Um, uh, if you were able to uh, comply uh, via online login um, and fill out for, fill out the forms online, uh, that would save a lot of time and and uh, and uh, and burdens for uh, small business owners and entrepreneurs. Um, time that they can uh, reinvest um, into their business, money they can reinvest into their business. Um, one study recently found um, that small business owners spend $12,000 a year complying with regulations um, with some spending as much as 80, 80 hours a year um, complying. Um, so digitizing would be one big step towards uh, alleviating that burden. That's a great idea. Anybody else? Um, something that's been happening already before the time of social distancing, but even more now is remote inspections. So you could uh, send pictures of what equipment you have to have to be in compliance to inspectors. That'd be one thing. You could even do video. That's occurring more now where there will be uh, someone who works at a company, say, uh, uh, out in the middle of Texas, who will show by video the inspectors in D.C., what they've done and explain it. Uh, so that's a form of digitizing, but uh, it's sometimes you actually have to change the regulations to allow it. Excellent. We've got another question here. What recommendations would you make regarding the treatment of addiction and treatment, as well as making treatment-related medications accessible to patients? Mike. Well, that's a that's a great question, and 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 it requires a level of detail and knowledge that I don't have in that field, so I'm going to actually pass on it. But if you think about the larger context here, we want to we want to provide venues in which we should, can think about regulations in a way that either gets rid of them or improves them. And it may be necessary to bring in, bring in the uh, opinions and uh, views of a lot of different people. Okay. Well, that's a good uh, segue into my next question with regard to the criteria to serve on the commission. I think you guys have slightly different versions of who should sit on that. Patrick, I'll start with you. What's the criteria for somebody to sit on this commission and who are these stakeholders? I think the most important criterion would be someone without an obvious vested interest. It's going to be hard to avoid that, I admit, but to the degree that we can populate the commission with neutral third parties like academics, uh, I think that would help avoid conflicts of interest. Uh, you, the, the key point, though, is you just need experts on that commission, whether it's the people that are appointed to be on the commission itself or people that they deputize to work for them or access to give them information. Uh, so get people with the relevant subject matter expertise who can truly evaluate whether regulations are delivering and ultimately conflicts of interest. If they do arise, they can be weighed by, by Congress later on. All right, Mike. Yeah, I would go with what Patrick just said at the end, which is that I'm not so much concerned with conflicts of interest. When, when, when regulations are put into practice and in the big, you know, and implemented at the beginning, there's a lot of views that come in. They may or may not pass cost, cost benefit tests. They may or may not, you know, Congress passes laws because they think it's important and it's up to Congress to kind of weigh the different, the different um, um, uh, 
benefits or costs that getting rid of a regulation or improving it will have. Because what happens is once a regulation is in place, it usually has partisans. It usually has people that are in favor of it. And they may have very good reasons for being in favor of it. So, you know, we want to have these people's views uh, taken into account. And then Congress will get to vote the whole package up and down. You want to have people who are on the commission who are politically savvy. Because the, the real key will be putting the package, a, a balanced package together that is that Congress can, can, can pass. I don't think it's enough to have experts on. I think it's, you have people that have a certain stature that is respected by everybody. All right, great. Um, next question. First, Patrick, somebody wants to know if you have a Trachtenberg School mug that you're drinking out of. But the real question is, should there be financial incentives from the federal government to implement these regulatory licensing reforms at the state level? If so, how do you do that? So what? Uh, yes, it is. It is a Trachtenberg mug. I was previously a visiting scholar at the Regulatory Studies Center uh, over there, so that's why I have that. Um, so financial incentives complicates things, I think, more than than helps things. Um, I, I don't think my short answer is no. I'm not sure this should be this should be offered. I think there's already ample incentive for any level of government to implement some sort of regulatory changes, even occupational licensing, which has been obviously a, a, a sticking point for many years. Where federal, uh, the, the Obama administration, for example, put out a report recommending uh, substantial occupational licensing reform at the state level and. Some of it happened, not a lot of it happened. I think now with the, the crisis, we can hopefully spur more action without getting into fiscal matters. I, I, I would just prefer to avoid that entire can of worms. All right, we've got a few more questions here. Uh, with the reduction of regulations, would you advocate stricter liability protections to be used to protect consumers, patients, and others uh, that a broad-based regulation would have addressed. Mike, we'll start with you. Yes, let me just make one really important point. We call it a regulatory improvement commission. We don't call it a regulatory reduction commission. And there's a very good reason for that. We actually think that there's a lot of scope for regulations to be improved, clarified, sort of combined in a way that reduces the burden without actually, you know, without actually uh, uh, harming the, uh, you know, people who have been helped by the regulation. So from our perspective, we're looking for things that are we're looking for things that are, are an improvement and perhaps even a strengthening, while other things will be reduced. So we don't see this as a as a we don't see this as a one way street. Um, we see this as a street that goes that goes both ways. In terms of stricter liability, I'm going to sort of punt punt that over. Liability liability standards at this point are 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 a fascinating question, especially in you know in in these days. But let me actually just make one point. We actually, we actually think that it's important that workers be protected here in the, in, the, in the current environment. We think there's an incentive for companies to protect workers without sort of putting in new regulations, but that doesn't mean that, that we don't think they should be protected. All right, anybody else wanna comment on that? We've got another good question. Uh, this is for Patrick and Elliot. Uh, you mentioned areas such as remote inspections more broadly related to automation. Do you think this moment will help spur greater support for automation among regulators, including the highly regulated sectors such as transportation? Elliot, we'll start with you first. 
Um, I would, I would, I would say yes. Um, I think uh, you know we're already seeing a a a, a more uh, opening uh, attitude towards working from home. Um, you know, um, the digital age has enabled uh, people to work from home. You're seeing productivity gains. Um, so uh, I think um, yes, I think uh, uh, automation uh, and transportation uh, will be looked at more favorably by regulators. Patrick. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think there's a lot of reasons besides the COVID crisis that we're going to see it happening, and we already were. Uh, for one, the reg tech industry is 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 a thing now. There's companies that are out there using technology to uh, make it easier for compliance to occur. Uh, that happened to be developing before the COVID crisis already, and now it can be more easily implemented during the COVID crisis. Uh, and then the second, uh, I would actually go so far as to make a prediction. I think we'll see more use of automation and dis- digitization in those agencies that are smaller and more focused on a single industry than ones that are broader. And the reason being, agencies themselves recognize that if their industry fails entirely or just goes under, the agency no longer has much purpose. So if you the Department of Transportation was uh, picked out as an example. Within there, you have the Federal Aviation Administration and the Railroad Administration. They're very focused on their industries. So they're going to be thinking about what ways can I, the FAA, can I lower the burden of regulations on all these uh, these companies that are struggling so much already. Automation is an obvious way to go there. All right. We have come to the end of our time. I want to thank Mike, Patrick, and Elliot for joining us. And I want to thank you, for, uh, our viewers who have tuned in today. Thank you again for joining us. And thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.